I wanted to begin my sermon this morning by asking you to pick up the nearest book of common prayer. It's the red book that's right there in front of you, which I, th- I think most people know, but just in case you don't, the red one with the cross on it. Once you have the book in your hands, turn, if you would, to page 848. Um, this is the part of the prayer book that may not be as familiar as some of the other parts. It contains a section called An Outline of the Faith, commonly called the Catechism. And it's a useful summary of the church's teaching on a variety of theological subjects. It's basically the prayer book's version of the FAQ, you know, frequently asked questions. So once you found page 848, you'll notice at the bottom of the page the bold section titled Sin and Redemption. That's the section we'll be taking a brief look at today because it's the theme that today's scripture readings want us to dwell on. So keep your finger right there uh, on that page in the book. Each reading, in its own way, deals with the topic of sin. And what is sin, you might ask? Well, the prayer book has an answer on page 848. Sin is the seeking of our own will instead of the will of God, thus distorting our relationship with God, with other people, and with all creation. In a way, it's a deceptively simple concept. Uh, Sin is nothing other than the act of replacing God's will with my own will, or with our will, as the case may be. Uh, You could almost say that it's a self-evident truth, uh, because uh, when human beings are left to our own devices, as history shows, it's never going to turn out very well. Uh, To use an analogy, it's like a toddler driving a car. I'm regularly driving my toddler from one place to another, uh, and, you know, I, I strap her into the seat, And uh, then I get into the driver's seat and strap myself in, and we are on our our merry way. Uh, But can you imagine what would happen if I was the one strapped into the car seat and, you know, my toddler was in the driver's seat instead? Uh, I mean, let's assume that she can reach the pedals and move the car into drive, but can you imagine what would happen? It would be a complete disaster. That's what sin is like. Toddlers putting their parents in a car seat and thinking that everything is going to work out okay. So when we replace God's will with our will, as the Catechism says, it distorts our relationship with God, with other people, and with all creation. And there's hardly a better example of how this plays out in Scripture than in the book of Exodus, chapter 32. Uh, To set the stage, we just need to know that the people of Israel had recently been emancipated from slavery in Egypt. Through the prophet Moses, the Lord had raised them up out of that land, freeing them from Pharaoh and his chariots, whose army was hurled into the Red Sea. And as they were at the foot of Mount Sinai, while Moses was on the mountain receiving the law, the Israelites fall into sin by making an idol a golden calf. So instantly, 
their relationship with God is broken because only God is worthy of worship. This idol worship also distorts their relationship with each other because it comes along with a host of other perversions. And not only that, but it even distorts their relationship with creation. All the created elements that went into the golden calf were good as such. But when they were turned into an object of worship, they could only become grotesque. Gold was no longer just a good of creation, but a resource to be mined at whatever cost to the land. We might be tempted to chuckle about an Iron Age people bowing down to a golden object. But that's only because we modern human beings have become far more refined in the kinds of idols that we make and in the kinds of worship that we perform. What the Exodus story shows us is that sin, then and now, has its effects on our relation with God and with each other and in creation. Sin has a power over us, like a system we cannot control. How does it have this power? The answer, according to the prayer book, now on page 849, is that we lose our liberty when our relationship with God is distorted. We lose our liberty. Libertas in the classical term. The freedom to choose God's will rather than our own will. Like the people of Israel who were captive to the power of Pharaoh, human beings are captive to the power of sin. In this state, we are not able to not sin. In, in the language of St. Augustine, non posse, non pecare, not able to not sin. And not only does this take a toll on our relationship to God and each other in creation, but it corrodes us in our heart from the inside out. That's why the portion of Psalm 51 appointed for today, which we just sang, is so powerful. They are the words of King David repenting of his sexual violence toward Bathsheba and his murder of her husband, Uriah. His words show us what it looks like at the end of the rope and the damage that sin does to the soul. David was personally responsible for his sinful actions. And at the same time, he was captive to a power well beyond his control. In this regard, he very much resembles us and every other human being who has ever lived, except, of course, one. There's another analogy that's instructive here, and that's the analogy of racism. On the one hand, we can understand racism as the prejudice of individuals, of a person's prejudiced beliefs or actions. And yet, racism can't be understood by individual beliefs and actions alone. It has to be understood as a system, as a power that's well beyond any individual's control. For example, whether or not a district attorney is personally racist does not account for the mass incarceration of people of color. 
Another example, whether or not a state legislator is personally racist cannot account for why a majority of black school districts in Pennsylvania consistently receive less funding per student than majority white school districts, even when you control for socioeconomic status. The point I'm trying to make is that racism is both personal and systemic and simply cannot be overcome by a handful of white folks becoming a little less prejudiced. It's the kind of thing that's baked into the cake. And the nature of all other sin is exactly the same. It is personal, and yet it's also a power that we are under beyond our individual control. Non posse, non pecare. We are not able to not sin. This is a full-throated account of sin. But what does it show us about redemption? We have to go back to the prayer book, page 849. Redemption is the act of God which sets us free from the power of evil, sin, and death. And you can't sum it up any better than the words of St. Paul, our patron, in his letter to Timothy. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am the foremost. In that one sentence, Paul tells the truth both about himself and about who God is. He confesses that he is a sinner and that Jesus is Lord. He's putting himself in the same place as the lost sheep and the lost coin in Jesus' parable. That sheep would never have found its way back on its own. That silver coin was going to stay lost until it was finally found. So too with St. Paul. So too with us. Only Jesus can defeat the power of sin and free us from its control. Only Jesus can finally smash systems of oppression and move our hearts to say, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness. Only Jesus can redeem. And the thing that is so extraordinary is that when Jesus shows up to free us from sin, he does not condemn us. He does not show us wrath as though we were sinners in the hand of an angry God. After all, what, what does the person in the parable say when he finds the lost sheep? He says, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Rejoice with me. Jesus is the finder of lost sheep, and he is the Agnus Dei the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. And when he finds us, lost sheep that we are, what does he do? He rejoices. His grace is greater than our sin. His redemption heals what we have marred, restoring us to God, to one another, and to creation. He is able to create in us clean hearts and renew within us a right spirit. 
may we open ourselves to the salvation that he brings and rejoice that in Christ, in Christ alone, we are found. Amen.